The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the 21st chapter. After he appeared to his followers in Jerusalem, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he showed himself in this way. Gathered there together were Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we'll go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, you have no fish, have you? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net to the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes, for he was naked, and jumped into the sea. But the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, only about a hundred yards off. When they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And though there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. A second time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter felt hurt because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt and to go wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. He said this to indicate the kind of death by which he would glorify God. After this, he said to him, follow me. The Gospel of the Lord. <clears throat> Well, grab your nets, boys. It's back to business as usual. Let's go fishing, says Peter, as he throws his arms around the shoulders of Thomas, Nathaniel, and some other disciples. As they load their boats, they reminisce about the last few years. It has been an incredible journey with Jesus, to be sure. They recall sermons and miracles and meals. They reflect on the horrific events of the arrest, torture, and execution of Jesus. They shake their heads in grief over their dead friend Judas, 
They wonder at the empty grave that Mary discovered and marvel at Jesus' extraordinary appearance to them while they were all huddled together just last week. But nothing has really changed since then. And now normalcy beckons them to return to their lives as they were before Jesus. Come back to the old, Father. Time beckons back to reality. Time to give Mom a call, see if the boss will take us back and pick up where we left off. Back to work, boys. Back to work, says Peter. And with a familiar heave, they cast their nets overboard into the sea. After all, it's over. They had traveled all over with Jesus, listening to him, learning from him. They had been inspired by him and had been convinced that things would change with this new kingdom, that Caesar would topple, that the first would be last and the last would be first. But it seems the empire remains after all and Easter has come and gone so now it's back to business as usual pick up your nets boys let's get back to work and try to forget the silly dreams of these last three years in a way this whole Jesus thing seems like an extended and collective dream many bought into it Jesus died and rose yes but there are still bills to pay and mouths to feed. So back to business, where the first is first and the last is last. Back to the old business, where the poor remain unblessed and where the meek get trampled underfoot by those in power. Back to the old way, where the women remain nameless, where the guilty remain condemned where the poor remain tucked away among tombs, under bridges, on benches, shoved from one gentrified neighborhood to the next. Back to business as usual, where the equality of all people is an ideology that must be snuffed out because these claims threaten empire. Back to business as usual, where any hopes stirred up by Jesus can fade comfortably into memory and die. We ourselves could ask the same question that Peter and the disciples surely grappled with as they fished. Has Easter really changed anything? Even though the church insists that it is still Easter, we still sing Easter hymns, it is back to business as usual. If we're honest, for us, we're back to business as usual in a world where wars still rage, failing to cease fire even for Orthodox Easter in Russia and Ukraine last Sunday. For us, in the United States, business as usual rekindles nuclear fear from the 80s as nuclear heavyweights bark and flex in escalating rhetoric that is all too reminiscent of the Cold War. Back to business as usual, for the gay and trans communities as their rights are increasingly threatened. Back to business as usual for black men who daily look over their shoulders in fear due to racial profiling and discrimination. Back to business as usual for the children in our country whose leading cause of death now has become the use of firearms. 
Back to business as usual for our Earth as wildfires rage, lakes dry up, and sea levels rise. For us, as for the disciples, one could say Easter has come and gone and accomplished very little. One could even say Easter has changed nothing. So, one could argue, as much as the church would like to otherwise protest, one could argue that Easter is a blip, a day, a lovely worship service with flowers and brass, a meal with ham, but nothing more. However, if we pay attention, we can see that it's not business as usual everywhere for everyone. For example, Easter is not business as usual for Saul. For Saul, Easter changes everything. For him, Easter means a total conversion from who he has been to who he will be, transforming him from a persecutor of Christians to chief apostle. For Saul turned Paul, Easter means an entirely new life, from a life of violence and judgment to a life of gospel and grace. Paul's is an extraordinary example. For the rest of us, Easter lies somewhere between a blip and a total life transformation. <clears throat> For the rest of us, however, we catch glimpses of Easter reality in daily life, in seeing things with new eyes, with opened eyes. Scripture often talks about eyes being opened and ears unstopped. If we pay attention, we can see Easter reality all around us. An example. I do not remember a time when I did not know Beethoven's Ninth Symphony. I don't recall how I felt when I first heard it, because I cannot recall first hearing it. For me, it's one of those pieces of music that has always been. So Doug and I went to Hampshire last Sunday to listen to a concert called Voices of Change. Did any of you go? It was on Saturday and Sunday. Did you go, Jean? Wonderful. Voices of Change. Ironically, despite the title, it's called Voices of Change. I was expecting business as usual. <laughs> While the first piece was new and unfamiliar, I was tired and prepared myself to be unimpressed. The first piece was called Seven Last Words of the Unarmed, composed by Joel Thompson. And it's a piece quoting the last words spoken by seven black men before they were killed by police officers or authority figures. But while it is gutting and brilliant and jarring in its own right, I failed to see the connection between it and Beethoven's Ninth Symphony, which was the second piece after intermission. What I learned proved that business was anything but usual at that performance at Hancher, when we are unexpectedly agitated and inspired as I was and am, this is Easter interrupting business as usual. So here's how Beethoven's Ninth Symphony exploded apart this notion of post-Easter business as usual. A short history lesson, I promise you, it'll be over soon. While Beethoven composed his Ninth Symphony in 1824, the words that he borrowed were in the fourth and final movement, the Ode to Joy that we all know, actually belonged to poet Frederick Schiller. Schiller wrote the poem in 1785, about 10 years after the Declaration of Independence. Both documents are products of the Enlightenment, and both proclaim a new reality, wherein all men are created equal. However, by the time Beethoven composed his Ninth, Napoleon had come and gone, 
failing to deliver a new democratic Europe for all people. After his death, then, Europe began to reconstruct herself after the old ways, the old business as usual, where the nobility had power and the peasantry had none. As this reassembly of the old world order was taking place, writings such as Schiller's Ode to Joy were banned since they inspired uprisings and revolutions. So when Beethoven rolled around and composed his ninth, his calling on Schiller's words, inciting a new Europe, a new order, equality of all people, well, this was a complete act of subversion, one that easily could have landed him in jail. Surely those in the audience in Vienna gasped when they heard the familiar yet forbidden words of this poem sung out on stage, not that Beethoven would have noticed because he was stone deaf by this time. But one thing we know for sure is by the time the symphony ended, the audience was on their feet, shouting and cheering and clapping. So then, Beethoven's Ninth, which I thought I knew so well, which I expected to be business as usual for a comfortable Sunday afternoon, blew my mind in a brand new way, that this masterpiece was in fact an act of civil disobedience and resistance. No wonder it was performed when the Berlin Wall fell in 1989. No wonder it was blasted by the student rebellion at Tiananmen Square that same year. No wonder it was sung by a ragtag handful of Japanese prisoners in a POW camp in World War I and has become an annual New Year's tradition across all of Japan. It's not that it's just a gorgeous piece of music, it's a call to action. Words penned 250 years ago still ring out around the world today, calling for a new way, demanding that we unite everything that custom has divided, demanding civil liberties for all people, regardless of race or ethnicity or economic status or gender or orientation, not business as usual, then it turns out. In fact, my ears and eyes were so blasted open that I actually called maestro Tim Hankowich on Tuesday morning disturbing his morning coffee with his wife, just to make sure that I got this story straight. And I remain grateful to him for his patient personal history lesson. So it seems if we are paying attention, things cannot be what they've always been. Even though Easter is over, nothing can be business as usual, because business as usual is oppressive and unjust. There are signs of the reign of God breaking into our world, upsetting business as usual. Our eyes can surely be opened to see Easter reality in our daily lives. God opens our eyes to see humans as humans, that love is love. God opens our ears to hear music in a new way, in a revolutionary way. God grants us new taste and appetite for justice. God activates our feelings of empathy and outrage. Our business as usual is upended by Easter reality. Easter cannot be Easter unless it accomplishes change. If it doesn't accomplish change, then it's merely a remembrance 
an empty ritual. Easter then, according to God's universal and endless grace, must accomplish change for everyone around the world. Not only for us here in this place, but in all places, from Red Square to the Red Light District. I've been to both Red Square and the Red Light District, and I've witnessed firsthand Easter reality in both of these places. The old church in Amsterdam, located in the heart of the city's red light district and built in the 13th century, was in fact a safe haven for HIV-positive patients in the 80s and 90s, offering clean needles, fresh beds, and warm food for all people. While the straight white population of the world went about business as usual, this church reimagined itself as a safe haven for people who were touted by the righteous right as being a scourge to society, suffering a plague handed down by a homophobic God. I had never seen a church do such an act of community service. Easter reality upended business as usual for the old church in Amsterdam and threw its doors open to a vulnerable and marginalized population. When I was first in Red Square in Moscow in 1992, I saw a protest of over 250,000 people all marching for bread and jobs for basic medical care as their economy plummeted to depths worse than what the U.S. saw in the Great Depression. While the world went about business as usual after the Berlin Wall fell, countries formerly behind the Iron Curtain desperately clawed at survival, risking arrest and imprisonment as their empire changed hands. These people used feet and fists to demand bread for their children. Easter reality interrupted their daily lives as they found new and dangerous courage to protest for better lives. Even when we expect business as usual, whether it be in a house of ill repute or a house of parliament, Easter reality changes things. Open your eyes, your ears, pay attention. Just this past week, many cisgender male students at City High wore dresses to school as a gesture of solidarity with a trans student who was made fun of earlier in the week, acts like this upset business as usual, turn the world upside down. Schiller and Beethoven would have been proud of them. If we believe that Easter changes nothing, if we believe everything is now back to business as usual, then Jesus is just another Napoleon, just another man who has failed to deliver what he promised every day in all of our lives. If we pay attention, we can catch glimpses of Easter reality. And as Easter people, it is our duty and delight to open our ears and eyes to them, to be modern witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You don't have to be in Moscow to march. You don't have to be in Amsterdam to show radical hospitality. You don't have to stand in front of a tank to demand no more to a corrupt Chinese Communist Party. We can all do these things in our little corner of the world. <clears throat> and that is how Easter changes things. That is why none of us can return to business as usual. Easter reality is here and now. And you and I are already a part of this movement due to our baptism. Our ode to joy is that all people are beloved and worthy and saved, that hell is dead and Christ is alive. What gifts will we use to proclaim this gospel?
for Schiller the pen, for Beethoven the baton, for Christ the cross. Amen.